How am I, you ask? Yeah, that's what I'm asking. I'm good. I'm 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 good. I'm like weirdly tired. I think it's just because we did our grocery shopping and that's just always such an ordeal. I think there are people in the world who like grocery shopping. Yeah, those people are just evil fascists. Just a big hullabaloo. But it's done. I'm at home resting and like big picture. Well, not super big picture, because super big picture, you know, the universe is in quite a state, but big picture in the context of my own life, things are going pretty good. Like, feel like I got good Talmud projects on the burners, feel like I got things cooking, you know? I'm annoyed that I have to harass my surgeon's office so much to get my surgery scheduled, but God willing one day that will actually work out it's happening yeah it's happening and the approval has gone through and the surgeon's office has received the approval and now the surgeon's office told me they're sending the approval to their scheduler and it will take her a couple days to call me which is just seems like a really inefficient system but supposedly that's what happens so now i have on my calendar to like The next time I'm going to bother my surgeon's office is if I don't hear from them within a week from today. So that's what I always have to do is like I have to make a tiny amount of progress and then put on my calendar to like bother them for the next step of progress. Oh, yeah, this is familiar. This is very similar in the world of hiring contractors, too, apparently. So I think when your boobies are done and my driveway is done, we should get a photo of your boobies. Then they'll merge. We'll get a topless hava on a beautiful <laughs> gravel driveway. Shot. Right. It won't even be me. It'll just be the boobies on the driveway. Yeah. A close up. Yeah. That's the only important part anyway. Because they'll be tw- siblings. The yes. driveway and the boobies. Yeah. Legally speaking. That's frustrating, but I'm, I'm glad the boobies are in the pipeline. Michael. Yeah. Michael McGillicuddy Sokolovsky. Mm. Hi. How are you? I'm fine. I, I feel a little sick. I just had something called a frozen hot chocolate. I thought the word that came out of your mouth was going to be a description of an illness. Like, I just had a a flu or something, but it was frozen hot chocolate, which is not an illness. No, no, no. It's Did not the frozen, you think the frozen hot chocolate contributed to your illness? Well, I'm getting old. I can't consume frivolous sugary beverages the way I used to, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a case-by-case thing. I think some people have an okay time. consuming such beverages well i'm starting to get to the point where i can't consume sugary beverages got it broccoli only for you broccoli broccoli juice broccoli broccoli pancakes everything broccoli all the way down you like pickles right i love pickles have you had grillo pickles we're not sponsored by grillo pickles by the way but have (laughs) you had them they're pretty good no they're like mass-produced pickles i don't know how you know Mm. probably regionally mass-produced pickles they're pretty good you should try them Okay, I'll put it on my list. I do like pickles. I really want to get some cornichons. What's that? Like the little baby pickles. Oh, I don't. The gherkins. I don't like those. Oh, I love them. They're so crispy. I associate them so strongly with like goyish Gentile. Like, it's weird. I'm not saying it's logical. A lot of unjustified associations between various things and gentility. Well, it's because I'm conflating immigrant with jewish and gentile with non-immigrant so there's like lots of things also i feel like you just conflate everything you don't like oh yeah i mean that's a useful skill it helps (laughs) with the whole coping yeah you should be in politics look life is complicated there's lots of shades of gray 
50 up on my part. Yeah, and sometimes I just want to flatten it to black and white. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Okay. Well, that's wrong, but I'm hip. So you're working on getting contractors for your driveway. You're eating pickles. I'm eating you're pickles. You're drinking frou-frou drinks that you shouldn't be drinking. Yep, yep. Because you're too old. What else is going on? Hmm, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of something. No, no, that's enough. What? That's enough. The people have heard enough. About what? No, no, are. no. Hold on. I'll tell you one more thing. I have okay. a wildflower identification book. Have I told you this? Um, no, but it's something I would have assumed. Okay, well, this is a new acquisition, and I have identified two different wildflowers in my yard. That's cute. What are the wildflowers? Number one is a standard violet, which I didn't really know Classic. about. Number two is called a bluette. Oh, a bluette. Also known as a Quaker lady. Oh, that's cute. Yes, it's a cute little four-petaled flower. Got a yard full of Quaker ladies. <laughs> yep, actually, we do. And you know what's great about Quaker ladies is they're edible. I've always thought so. They are a snack. Quaker ladies are a snack. <laughs> if you go online, Google Quaker lady flowers right now. This is a very New England conversation to be making so many jokes about Quaker ladies. I had never really thought about Quakers outside of history class before I moved to New England. But they are like a real force up here. Oh, yeah. They're great. Oh, yeah. I googled Quaker Lady. These flowers are very cute. And I've definitely seen them out. Anyway, that's my news. That's my news. Wow. Also, apparently, there's a a breed of iris known as Quaker Lady. Oh. The more you know. This has been your botanical lesson for the day, listeners. So we're back with our listener inquiry our first one in a little second and uh it's just a quick short little question but i think it's going to be fun to dive into and the question is can you explain the concept of svara i've listened to rabbi benet's talk on the crash theory but i would like to know more about svara itself so for those of you who don't know although i imagine many of you do svara is the name of an organization that is, I would say, one of the central organizations in the endeavor of queer Talmud in this world. And the word Sfara is very central to their descriptions of themselves and to their understanding of how Talmud functions. And the way that Sfara is often explained in the world of queer Talmud is it's often translated as meaning informed moral intuition which is a phrase that feels densely packed with connotations. Yeah, none of which I know. And not very concrete. Yeah, yeah. Okay, informed moral intuition. Your sense of what's right and wrong as also informed by your learning up to this moment. That's one definition, and let's go more into the pieces and particles of that. So Sfara is a word that comes up relatively often throughout the Talmud. It is a word that comes from this magical little root of Samech Bet Resh. So if you're playing at home, that's on Jastro page 951. Jastro is of the opinion that the core meaning of this root is to be bright, to look for, to be hopeful, to think, or to imagine. And he translates it in its noun form as either hope or understanding, plain sense. And that's the way it functions in Talmud a lot, is as a word meaning common sense, or logical, or rational. But am I right in thinking, tell me if I'm jumping ahead, not rational in the sense of knowing the rules of logic. It's street smart and book smart, right? Yeah, well, we're going to continue to explore what what exactly rationality 
truly is. That's, today's episode is actually going to be a philosophy podcast about what is rationality. Okay, great. Also, Jastro says this root is probably connected to the root bet race race, which means to clear, to clean, to prove, to ascertain, to single out, to select, to sift, to assort. Also to be very cold. Brr. Brr. Yes, Jastro goes brr. So that's our little etymological section. And now let's bring in a couple examples, a couple sugyas that may shed some light or may confuse us even further. So there's this little occurrence that happens on Avodazara, Dove 19a, which I'm going to read in translation because it's a little bit long and we'll do some other stuff with original text. But Rav Chizda said to the sages who were studying with him, I want to say something to you, but I'm afraid you will leave me and go. Which, first of all, I, I just love that line. <laughs> all on its own, it feels so relatable and human. <laughs> and just like, I, he's like standing in front of a room, like a nervous nervous guy. He is afraid to be known in his truth. And I think many of us can relate to that. He says... I wanted to say, anyone who learns Torah from one teacher will never see a sign of blessing. And when the students heard this, they left <laughs> and, went, <laughs> and went to study with Rava. So his thing that he was afraid to say was, if you only learn from one teacher, basically, you're shooting yourself in the foot. He goes on to say, that applies only to regarding reasoning a.k.a. Svara. But with regard to the oral tradition itself, a.k.a. Gemara, it is preferable to learn from one teacher so that he will not become confused by the different versions of the same statements he hears, as he will have no clear authoritative version. So this story is doing a lot of things. One is just giving us some context clues to think about Svara, and one is introducing these two terms that are often in a binary, which is Svara and Gemara or Savar and Gamar, Savirna, Gamirna. Savara being the rationality, the reasoning, the common sense, and Gamara being the facts, the literal legal rulings, the information itself that one needed to learn to be a Talmud sage. Okay, I'm wondering if Gamara includes not just the facts, but also like the rules of logic, or if that kind of stuff is part of the Svara. Yes, I think that that kind of information lives in Svara world, and here are some sugyas to support that opinion. We read on Brachot 6b, Amarava, who this is the same person who everyone in our last story, everyone left to go study with Rava. So this is Rava speaking in an unrelated instance. So the reward for learning is Svara. So the reward for learning the things that the sages have to say is to learn the logical analysis behind their statements. That is the interpretation of the Williamson-Davidson Talmud translation. And one that makes sense in context. Okay. So the reward for learning and commentary suggests that this is specifically for learning from the Amoraim. The reward for learning is that you come to understand the Svara of the people who made the legal decisions. So it's not necessarily about the legal decisions themselves, but rather that you 
benefit from like cracking open the thought processes of the people who came before. Okay, so in learning the rules, you will learn the logic that was used for their derivation. Yes, the logic or the values or the style. There are a lot of ways you could think about it, and it's not clear because I am of the opinion that the concept of rationality, as you and I are talking about it right now, was not didn't have a lot of currency amongst the rabbis at the time. I don't know. I think it, it may have. I do think the, the Stom does care about kind of consistent logic. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily that the rabbis need to agree with each other, but each individual rabbi needs to be self-consistent. So you do learn that by studying Gemara, by studying the Stom, theoretically. You could learn that. I guess more what I'm saying is the boundaries between logic and style and the connotation of logic as an objective process is maybe not one that was so, so much happening here yeah maybe not maybe not i find this this explanation of svara i find it to be very not compelling why not okay you can know the math formulas right you can know like Mm -hmm. a squared equals b squared plus c squared that's like knowing the ruling and you can know Mm -hmm. the theories to to prove it and yeah like i can understand if you learn all these formulas and like think about it for a while maybe you could derive these theories but those theories by themselves, or whatever system you're working within, are not very interesting in and of themselves. It's well, I think you're you're touching on something crucial that differentiates Talmudic literature from math textbooks, or even I would say Talmudic literature from halachic codes, which is that Talmud specifically shows us the svara behind the scenes and also includes the formulas and the decisions, but the Talmud, part of the reason, I think, and many others think why it is this multivocal, disagreeing, messy document full of seemingly inexplicable stories is because it's capturing a lot of the messiness that is not captured in the sort of textbook format you're talking about. Yeah, I guess I just don't like equating Svara to the formulas, is what I'm saying. I don't like that because I think that's very dry. I think there's more... Yes, I do not think the Svara is the formulas. Yeah, okay, okay. Or the logic behind the formulas. Yeah, I think Svara almost has a dimension of being a quality of character. Yes, well, that's what I'm saying. Yes, yeah, I think we're both going to the same. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. It's harder to to have a certain character than it is to both know a formula and know how the formula was derived. Yes, because you could make a case that knowing how the formula is derived from a um, from a strict rules perspective is still in the world of Gamara, right? Yeah. That's actually just more higher order rules. And we know that Svara, one thing we know about Svara so far is it's not Gamara. Oh, right? okay, great. Yep, yep. Because we've discussed uh, in our in our passage where dear old Rav Chista was was talking about learning from only one sage, that his statement applied with regards to Sfara, but not to Gamara. So we know that they're not the same thing. Okay, so I'm going to bring another source. So on Shabbat 63a, the sages have been having this big old debate about what this one verse means. And it culminates with someone saying, verses don't depart 
from their simple meaning. And after that, we hear, Amarav Kahana, Kad Hawena Bar Tamne Srei Shnin, Wahawa Gemirne Le Lehule Talmud, Wala Hawayadna, Te Ein Mira Yotse Mide Pshuter Ad Hashta, Maika Mashmalan, De Ligmar Inish Wahadar Lisfal. Rav Kahana said, When I was 18 years old, I had already learned the entire Talmud. He's saying, I was a, I'm a really smart guy. Okay. And right. yet, I still had not learned that a verse does not depart from its literal meaning until now. The Gemara asks, what is Rav Kahana trying to say by telling us this? He's saying that you should first learn and then understand the Sfara. So what Rav Kahana is coming to teach us is, at least in this case of learning a verse, a pasuk from the Torah, you should learn it as it is. Well, we might say today, like, phenomenologically. And then you should think about it on a Svara level. So you should encounter, like we said, the two plus two as it is. And only after that should you move into the realm of learning the Svara behind it. Oh, 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 huh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is a, you know... I'm not sure whether I agree with this or not. It's clear, even from just the few texts we've read on the show so far today, that Svara and Gemara are two things that are not the same and that are both essential qualities in a sage. Hmm. You have to learn, learn it. It reminds me of like how so much news is just commentary on the news. Right, like only only a fractional percent of the news is this thing happened today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the vast rest of the news is like, and why? And yeah. what should we think about it? And what should we tweet about The it? rest of the news is just Svara, just sloshing Svara, maybe. Yeah, maybe, or guesses about the Svara of the people involved in news events. Yeah, 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 sure. Huh, that's curious. I think part of how I am inferring that Svara is a matter of character is because if Svara was an objective thing that you could learn, like Gamara, like 2 plus 2, then there would be no benefit from learning it from multiple teachers, which Rav Chista says we need to do, right? Between one person and another, your 2 plus 2 and my 2 plus 2 should be the same. Right, right. Right? But between two people, we know from Rav Chizda that our Sfaras should be different and that their difference is good and important, which is what tells me that Sfara has a dimension of character to it. Yes. Even though it's often translated as common sense, I think we can obviously, as in our day and age, acknowledge that common sense is, is both conditioned by who we are as individuals and by our circumstances. Yeah, and also rare. Sure. So I wanted to introduce even more silliness. I wanted to bring a quote from Rational Rabbis by Menachem Fish, which I always quote on this show. I talk about it a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm always pushing it on people. He spends a lot of the first time in this book talking about like what is science? What is a rational system? Like what is a coherent framework for understanding what it means to be rational? Mm Mm-hmm. And he comes up with this thing. He says, we have then something like a tripartite recursive theory of rational action, ideally comprising the following, a deliberate study of a particular goal-directed system with a view to prudently expose and explain its problems, two, an undertaking to solve whatever problems come to light, and three, 
a willingness to do so on the grounds of second-order theories that are themselves considered subject to principles one and two. So his definition of a rational process would be a process that is dedicated to uncovering the problems of a system, which is step one, which I would definitely say is an activity that's happening in the Talmud. Two is undertaking to solve those problems. And three has what he calls a a second order process happening, is having a meta process happening about how we're solving those problems and is willing to critique the process itself. Sure, yeah, 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 okay. So one of the reasons I bring this up is because I think it is a way to think about Svara as Svara is the way in which each individual sage and rabbi implements these goals, right? The Talmud is doing this, doing these three things all the time. It's finding the problems in the halachic system, it's doing its best to solve them, and it's thinking about how it's doing that. The problems and the solutions are the Gemara portion of everything, and the Sfara portion is how each sage is doing that and how they're critiquing the process itself. It's part three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. And that's uh, that's kind of unteachable. Like, you can imagine someone who's very good at one and two for any particular system. Right. And it's it's unteachable and it's also sort of impossible to evaluate in a value-oriented way. Like, it's, it's pretty hard to say this person has good Svara, or this person has 10 Svara, and this person only has 5 Svara, because it's like a flavor or a color, you know? It, it's a style. It's a it's a quality of character. But I feel like you can sometimes, this is hubris for sure, but like sometimes you know <laughs> when someone has zero Svara, or, you know, not zero, but not just, I'm not speaking about Talmud specifically here, but an order of magnitude difference in the ability mm-hmm. to critique the system that you're playing in you you can notice that right and at the same time we're only able to evaluate other people's fara through our own yeah, yeah yeah right we're only able to have thoughts about people's meta relationship to the halachic system because we have our own opinions our own morals and ethics and intuitions about the halachic system so we're all out here on the Svara level, all the time, having thoughts about each other's Svara. Yeah, and like, do I want my Svara to cuddle up to your Svara? (laughs) Right. Should our Svaras date? What if our Svaras kissed? Would that be fucked up or what? Yeah, okay, I'm into it. So yeah, I don't know. That's my answer. That's That's what I have to say, and that's something that I enjoy to come and think about and i think part of the reason that it's the name of that organization and also something that comes up so much is because it's uh, a little bit the the secret sauce of talmud and of the halachic process mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like it's a it's a little bit the nitro in the tank that makes it all go is that the talmud has sort of a self-aware cognition about itself that we are a part of. Mm. I'm thinking about the difference now between like an ideal good moral politician, their mm-hmm. role in society versus a parliamentarian and their role. And now like the parliamentarian in my mind is a representative of the Gemara and the politician ideally should be representative of the Svara. Say more about that. What is the difference? What is a politician and a parliamentarian for you? Like a parliamentarian just knows the rules. 
knows how Mm -hmm. shit gets made and the logistics of how to go about doing it, then the politician should ideally be thinking about what the right thing to do is. Right. You could also call those sides philosophy and rhetoric. I mean, there are a lot of ways to think about philosophy, but one way to think about them is that philosophy is concerned with ultimate truth. And in a sense, ultimate truth is like a piece of Gamara that some philosophies think we can approach more or less. And rhetoric is specifically not concerned with ultimate truth and is instead concerned with processes and effects on people. Yeah, that's neat. Neat Hava. Thanks, listener. (laughs) Yeah, it is neat. It's a fun topic to explore. It's one I think about a lot. And I hope, dear listener, that this has been an enjoyable little snack of an episode for you to spar on. You know, maybe you think our spara is deficient, in which case, let us know. Yeah. It's not. No, it's perfect. (laughs) I don't know about perfect, but it's all right. It's fine. It's cooking. It's there. (laughs) I think it's on point. Great. Well, this has been a pleasure and a blast. Thank you all, as always, for tuning in to our nonsense. If you want twice as much nonsense, so much nonsense that it adds up to something that sort of makes sense, become our Patreon at patreon.com slash hi, how are you? And you can get twice as many episodes. Mm -hmm, You get a mm -hmm. Patreon episode every week that is its own luscious thing directed by Michael. So it has a very special and different flavor that you won't hear here Mm -hmm. on the main feed. Carolina barbecue. Oh, I don't like Carolina barbecue, but I respect it as an art, as a Texas girl myself. Anyway, that's that. We love y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in. And Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.